Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Nakia and welcome to the Fearless Kia Podcast. Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Fearless Kia. Welcome to another Fearless Friday. This week's lesson of the week is... Life throws you curveballs. Don't let it take you off course. There's so many times that we plan, we have a strategic goal in mind, and we're working towards it, and then next thing you know, fuck, something happens, and you're like, what the fuck, this is not a part of the plan. However, just because it throws you a curveball, it's just a setback. It doesn't mean that it's over, but be able to process it, deal with it, take one thing at a time, and keep moving towards what you have envisioned for yourself. So that is my lesson of the week. But without further ado, let's get into today's podcast guest. So this week's guest is an Associate Director of Communications for Complex Networks, He currently works on their original programming and specials. Prior to his time at Complex, he was a senior publicist at BET Networks, where he helped launch shows such as The Quad, Chase and Destiny, Gucci Men and Keisha Kaors, The Main Event, 50 Central, and many more. When he is not working his nine to five, you can catch him traveling the world, living his best life. (laughs) I think he recently was in like Bali getting his best life okay without further ado this week's guest is no one other than mr robert avery himself thank you i love that intro (laughs) yes (laughs) hope i did justice oh no you did i love that i was like yes you did that so usually i just like to jump right into things and ask right out the gate what is your deepest fear you know my deepest fear And I actually really thought long and hard about this and didn't know how to word it. But I do think my deepest fear is reaching my fullest potential personally and professionally. I know we put a lot of parameters on Mm ourselves, but I definitely have like, especially now turning, you know, dun, 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 dramatic noise, 30. (laughs) 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 That's something that's really been starting to weigh on my mind. Yes. And so what is it like? How did that? fear developed was it the approach of 30 coming up or was it something that was always lingering but the eight that that ageism of 30 it just like kind of prompted it to be you know it's something that i've always thought about but i think you know when you're a lot younger certain milestones and benchmarks in your life seem a lot further away Mm. but then once you actually hit them you're like Oh, wait, you know, when my parents were telling me about this or when, you know, an older friend or somebody, you know, is talking from the experience of this particular age, it seems a lot further until you're there and you're like, oh, this is still like only a drop in the bucket. Right. Um, So I just think now and, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a friend the other day living in New York. I think, you know, even though we are the age we are, it's. I would always think like 10 years younger than our friends in other places. Right. (laughs) Just, you know, naturally. So, you know, seeing folks in other places who are now beginning to have like that family life and starting to settle in that second round of their life, if you will, it's almost as if I didn't have those people being in New York. I would have no sense of kind of where I really actually am in life. Right. And measuring against that timeline, right? And, you know, it's subjective because I moved here for, you know, to obviously have this life but you know it's it's still different kind of seeing that in other places and what that looks like yeah do you feel like you sacrifice that in pursuit of your dreams as far as like knowing that some of those things may not be hit at the times in which 
we've envisioned like growing up knowing like this is gonna happen this may happen at this time knowing you come to new york you're sacrificing yeah certain dates or time and i don't think it's even that but again i I literally moved here the week we graduated Mm. or the week I, i should say i literally moved here the week i graduated back in 2010 and i've never left so to that point i don't even think I had a sense of what New York would be at this point in time in my life and or that I would still be here. So, I mean, I came very much in pursuit of a dream, but my mindset was very much of this 22-year-old kid who's like, all right, I'm packing a bag. I'm out. Like, see you later. Peace out. And I've just kind of been rolling and life has been good. But I'm like, now I'm looking up and I'm almost here 10 years later. And it's like, oh, wow. (laughs) Like... Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like you've hit some of your own personal goals in that kind of, you've been here since 22, you're 30, and you're looking back and you're like, you know what? Everything that I said I was going to do, I've done. Crazy enough, um, yes. It's one of the things, especially when talking to like a lot of, oh, I can say it now, younger people coming (laughs) up. Oh, my God. Like, this is not about age. (laughs) I feel like we keep, oh, my God, this is like a therapy session. (laughs) Um, But no, I think when you first come up here or whenever you're pursuing a dream, it's a lot easier to set more clear cut benchmarks when you don't really know what's on the other side or what else it has to offer. Mm. So when I first moved up here, again, with the limited scope of the field and, you know, just knowing what you know from not growing up in it, um, I did kind of set reach some of those goals and benchmarks early on. And then once you get to that point, you're like, oh, wait, like now what's next? Right. And again, granted, you could always dream bigger and think more. But once you get into it and you realize there's so much more on the other side that you can accomplish or pursue and, you know, take these little paths. Like, it doesn't have to be A, B, C, D. It can be A, B, C, H, G. Come back to D. Come back to C. That's true. So, yes. On the one hand, when I first set out for this, I did reach certain benchmarks. But now, having been in it long enough and being able to explore and just having different passions as you grow... I almost say, like, every day I feel like I wake up with a new goal post or, like, kicking the goal somewhere else to be like, well, what is next? Yeah. Do you fear the unknown sometimes in your life since you have reached those those goals already or earlier on than you expected to? I... I don't feel... The, I don't fear the unknown so much... I don't fear the unknown in regards to a professional life so much anymore because at this point, you know how to navigate it. And it's just a matter of what situations are right for you at that time. Right. At at this point, it's a little less about actual ability. And it's just more like, is this a place a fit for, A, what I'm trying to accomplish and just in totality, what I just want my experience to be. Right. I think personally, again, there's that buzzword again. Now that, you know seeing other people around you who are hitting other milestones personally. I think the fear of the unknown in that sense of like, oh, wait, this is something I can't control someone else. Mm. When it comes to professional, like, I can control my, you know, my skill set, my expertise, like, what I can produce. But when it comes to the personal life side of things, now it is like, oh, wait, like, I can't control it the way I could before. And like, just being good at your job, like, you know, you can't, be good at making somebody, you know, yeah. like you or want to be with you or want to do that. So I think, you know, that that fear of the unknown of like, what is this going to look like? Because I don't really have control over that 
is somewhat of a fear. Like, what is this going to look like? Right, because this is you can't put a strategic plan towards it or right. a goal. It's literally like I can't write a PR. Pl- yeah, I can't write a PR plan for it. I can't pitch it. You know, <laughs> I can't buy a marketing and budget we not, for it. And we're not pitching ourselves, <laughs> and okay? I'm not pitching myself so, <laughs> to convince so, others. So that. yeah, no, it's just interesting now that that's. One of those things were like, oh, wait, I don't have control over that and being okay with that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you kind of what made you fall in love with your passion for PR coming here to New York or knowing that I'm going to New York. I'm, I'm making yeah. this movement. Um, you know, it's so crazy. It's like growing up, I always used to. I moved around a lot. Like, I would say growing up, I probably moved five or six times before I graduated high school. So, you know, while moving those places and, you know, always having to be the new kid and start over and meet things, I kind of threw myself into the fantasy world of entertainment, if you will, because that was the one thing that was always constant. Mm. Like, no matter where I went, like, if I fell in love with an artist or a music like that's something that I could just always carry with me and kind of escaping and watching these award shows and watching things like that and always being like, wow, like it it was almost like an escapism for me. Right. So, you know, it's always what I wanted to pursue, but again, not having anybody that I knew around it, it's like, well, how do you go about that? Right. Um, So in college, you know, I went to school for it, but it, it was more so, I still wanted to dabble in a lot of things, but I mean, I hate to say it for lack of better things, I kind of picked, I mean, I picked the major, <laughs> right. but it wasn't necessarily something that I was thinking about pursuing in the long run. Should something else come up? There were a lot of other things I wanted to do. Right. Um, but then I got my first internship and from there, I mean, you know, things just started rolling. So when I graduated college, I had some job offers, but nothing was really within the field that I wanted to pursue. And mm-hmm. listen, Hampton was expensive. So I was like, if I paid all this money, I at least owe it to myself to get some type of return. Okay. So the day after we graduated, I applied to a bunch of internships, even post-graduation in New York. On Wednesday, they hit me. I took a bus up here, had the interview on Thursday. Friday on the way back home, they said you can move here. And Saturday, I literally packed a suitcase, came to New York, and that was... May 2010, and I've been here ever since. Damn. God damn. And it moves like that, doesn't it? It does. York? It's like, if you if you want it, oh, that's yeah. go. Like, oh, no, totally. Like, so in the, in the sense of, like, falling in love with it, I think part of that New York story and that hustle and just finally having that opportunity that you could... I think that was the first time where I was able, like, I was really able to visualize, like, oh, this is what it can look like in a tangible way. Mm. Like, if you really work hard and if you really put your mind to it. So I was determined to make it work by all means necessary. It was unpaid. Like, I lived off of graduation money for six months, like, eating those two-for-one coupons, sleeping on a futon. Mm. (laughs) Yes! Sleeping on somebody's (laughs) futon in their thing. But I think that also gave me a hunger and that is partially where the love came from is because of, you know, the sacrifice that came with it. So it just made me appreciate, even to this day still, there are certain aspects where you do get a little jaded, but anytime I think about going from a futon to a floor to living in an apartment with somebody I didn't know in that first year, I'm like, 
No, like, keep going. Like, you made it past that, so all of this on the back end is, you know, just, like, icing on the cake at this yeah. point. Yeah, talk about that climb, though. How yeah. was that climb? Was it scary? <laughs> oh. and just climbing the corporate ladder, oh. making your own name for yourself, particularly being, being in the PR industry, right? Oh, yeah. Like, let me tell you, within that first six months, I probably cried more those... Ser- and it got to the point where, like, I was crying on the... Tra- like, Snot Nose crying on the train, <laughs> I and I didn't even care. Like, walking down the street, like, (laughs) like, but, you know, honestly, during that time, I had so many supportive, like, friends and, you know, family. And I think you don't realize how much people, well, it's one of those things where you realize how many people you really have in your corner when you're in a time when you need it. And not even necessarily asking for help, but just when, you know, you be catching up with a friend and talking to them. They're like, oh, like, let me send you this 20 or like, you know... People looked out in that sense, so that was great. But my first official job came six months after, you know, starting the internship. And it was a totally different world. You know, going to Hampton, obviously, I was around us for, you know, a while. And it was almost like that, oh, wait, this is not really the real world. (laughs) So I think my first job, I would say, definitely, in hindsight, I really appreciate it because it definitely set the blueprint for who I am as a professional now. But at the time, I did not appreciate it. Um, How was navigating uh, corporate white America versus being in an institution that was loved on us, black excellence? You know, know? so here's the crazy part. And that's the thing. Like, I had never had that experience of Hampton until going to Hampton. Wow. But being that those were such formative years, it did you know, obviously shaped me in a way for that trajectory for those next couple of years. So I don't want to say it wasn't like deprogrammed, but almost going to that first corporate job, it was like a a shock. Culture it was like a wake up call because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're surrounded by peers and a lot of familiarity, you're used to like people like, oh, you know, you're popping, you're this, you're that. You know, people are always patting you on the back and giving you all those things. And that was the first time I would say in my adult life where people were like, I mean, yeah, you're good but you could do better or like yeah like that's cool but like you know you could work a little harder or you know um you know my first job you know typically when they have you on those three months probation like I actually got a warning like Mm. my first job they were like mess up one more time and like we'll see you and I think that was a wake-up call for me was you know a obviously we're human and we have feelings but just realizing that as long as you have a boss you have to adjust and be amenable to what it is they're asking you to do, but not everything is so personal. Right. And I think in the beginning, I take things so personally, and I'm like, he is living his best life. Once he tells me what I'm doing, giving this, no, he's not thinking a thing about me and my feelings. And like, you want to do well and be so invested, but just learning how to separate the two and just saying like, listen... It's a critique. You're critiquing the work, but not me as a person. Mm. And I think once I was able to really, and it's it's constant work still to yeah. this day, but once I was able to separate the two, I think it definitely helped moving forward. Yeah. And you were able to just kind of shoot up from there. Yeah. So how was it um, transitioning from a different kind of work environment to now going back? Going back to our people with BT. <laughs> well, you know, the- you know, going back to Black Excellence and being back in that. Did you feel like that transition was a little bit smoother because you were challenged in your first job? You did learn those kind of 
get to have thick skin and understand that it's not, you know, personal. I don't think I thought about it as an easier transition in regards to a return to the people. I think it was almost an easier transition because I had gone through that boot camp of the first job and almost essentially being broken down to the point where I had to build myself back up over those two years. Mm. So if nothing else, I think the anticipation and the readiness came from, okay, I think I've been able to hone my skill set enough that I'm really ready to take on this at a place where I'm passionate about. Because, you know, thinking about it when I was saying earlier about those things I used to watch on TV, like I remember watching the first BET Awards like from Vegas that was held in Vegas in my room back when I lived in Georgia. Mm. And so now, 12 years later, like working on the awards itself, it was almost like a full circle moment. Mm, Yeah. And then from there, I'm like, oh, wait, like, you know, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And it's amazing to to now be at Complex and you're continuing to just bigger and better things because God has a plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, God's plan. Um, it seems like you really, like you said, I've honed in like the professional side. Here's the PR plan. Here's the marketing budget. I know how to fin- finesse that or mm-hmm. even just like I know my ability. Mm-hmm. What are there other things professionally that you want to do, but you haven't kind of like started moving in that direction and when i say professionally i mean like are there other avenues of the entertainment industry that you want to explore the other kind of pursuits of happiness or or joys that you want to kind of dibble and dabble into now yeah i think i think at this point i definitely have i have to say this slightly (laughs) i think (laughs) i think i've definitely been able to master what i'm good at but i think where i'm at now is also trying to find out where the intersection of passion comes in. Mm. Um, And I don't even know if I'm able to fully articulate what the passion will be. I just feel like I know when I'll feel it. Yeah. And, you know, right now I I feel, I do feel fulfilled Fulfilled. in the sense of like, again, mastered what you're good at, but I would love to know what it would feel like to be passionate again about whatever. That thing that just is like no matter the hardship or how tough it is or what the hours are like, regardless you're like i really want to just you know see this through so like i would love to have that feeling yeah do you think that you'll be able to when that feeling comes be able to balance that and still your pursuits of personal that you're kind of like i don't know what this is right now that unknown area but (laughs) do you do you feel like you will be able to do both because I think a lot of times we talk about women and saying like, "Can you do both?" Mm-hmm. Like, but I always wonder like, is this men? Do we do? Do you feel like you can kind of balance both at the same time as well? I think now I can because I'm open to it, and I think right. before I used to think I wanted certain things, and then once I would potentially get them. I can own it now. I was a masochist and a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I was self sabotage extraordinaire even if I didn't necessarily notice it Mm. and it's interesting now I think what's really I think put that into perspective is now seeing a lot of people or things that you may have entertained in the past having moved on (laughs) (laughs) for lack of better words and they've moved on and you're kind of like oh wait because I think you always want to think that like oh I'm the one you missed out on and you realize, like, ooh, actually, no, you're not. So <laughs> so I would say to answer your question, I think at this point, yes, I think 
in whatever that looks like because I'm at least willing and I'm open to the process. Yeah. Um, who knows? But I hope so. Well, what it, I mean, what do you want from a personal standpoint? Right? You said you want to feel. You want to your your deepest fear is that um, you're not going to be able to fully live your potential personally, professionally. So personally, what are those? Yeah. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, so again, I think we like when we touched on it earlier, I think one of the things that's crazy is like again, seeing people who are now like married off and having kids and having like these long term relationships and situations, I think it's just natural that you're thinking like this is still all fun and games now while people are like still dating and we're still like young, but I know it sounds very like far down the line, but I, I have thought that sometimes we're like you know, once everybody starts really getting into their real lives and they have their spouses and their partners and their kids and their families, like, and I'm still like, oh, you trying to go to happy hour? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's not necessarily going to be happy hour, but eventually we are not going to be one another's top Mm. priority. And, you know, again, not being in a space, you know, living in New York where we're just kind of like living this young forever life. Yeah. You know, I'm just always like, oh, well, dang, like, One day I might look up and be 40 or like 35. Have I like started? Do I need to be more mindful of like consciously starting this process of like, you know, a family or just, you know, thinking about those things? Because, again, I'm just like, well, I have my niece, my sister. But, you know, if one day everything were to like go away, like, you know, what do you have? Damn. Was that too much? That's deep. Because I, even when you think about it, you're like, damn, you can one day look up and be like... Yeah, because again, like I said, as we grow older, like, friends, we're going to still have the love for each other, but we won't be each other's top priority. That How do you manage that... How do you manage that experience of, like, this is the relationship, right, as friendships, like, that Mm -hmm. we had. Mm -hmm. And now... It's going to change and evolve over time. Listen, I'm I'm st- I would love to see that because I know me. Once I once people don't have time for me, I'm going to start to unravel. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I, I can't even envision right now what it would be like once my all my friends are married off and like kids and stuff. And it's like if you know if that is the case, and I'm still single, I'm like damn, like yeah. And I mean, again, these are the very extreme ends of it. In my parents right now, like for instance. They are celebrating 42 years together and 35-year anniversary. And they're on a road trip right now visiting all their friends, like, up and down the coast. So, again, it's not like that's ever going away. The dynamic is just going to shift. But in that sense, it's like, you know, they still have each other. Like, at the end of the day, you still have your best friend. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Yeah. At that time, when it happens, well, I have my best friend. Right. I'm I'm just not trying to be on Megabus visiting you all, like, up and down the coast, (laughs) like... (laughs) <laughs> like so <laughs> so <laughs> and that's that okay but one thing you do have and one thing that you have I feel like have a passion for or at mm. least a love for is travel yes and I wanted to touch upon that How, what has traveling the world taught you about yourself um, I think if nothing else traveling the world has just always to me continued to open my eyes that we are not the center of the universe like we are very much the center of our world but once you step into somebody else's they don't care about like who you are where you've come from like whether it be as macro as america or as micro as like us as individuals like being in these other countries and it's like we think that everybody is just revolved around us and they could honestly care less most times which is refreshing but it's also like 
I almost crave more of those experiences more and more the more that I just realize that there's such a big world out there and people are literally like not to you know no pun intended but like living their best lives like in Bali just now I think one of the most moving things to me was just how kind and grateful everybody just seemed and Mm -hmm. one of the most constant things just through having conversations with the locals there was they're like we don't stress Mm. And and not to say that they don't have a realistic sense of what's going on in life, but I think things that we look at as burdens here, they just look at as their responsibility. Right. Like, one of the women who was one of the housekeepers at the house was saying that she lives with her husband, two teenage sons, and both their mothers. And she's like, I just take care of them. Or our driver, he lives with his teenage brother, his two kids, his wife, and his grandmother. And it's just kind of like, this is what it is. So things like that to me, it's just like they just were so grateful. And I think one of the biggest things that stuck out was when she was saying, like, in their community, you're never not going to have. Like, even if I don't have a lot and you have nothing, we're both just going to not have a lot together. But she's like, it's nothing for if, you know, you know, your neighbor doesn't have something to bring it over to them or like. If you're low on food, you know my garden is right here for you to pick from. Just that sense of community and that even if I don't have a lot, I'm willing to give you the little that I do have to ensure that you're not fully, you know, going under. Yeah. And it's a different perspective to know that, like, people around the world do more with less. And we feel like here, regardless to your point in America or in our individual life, that we need to have more Mm -hmm. in order to... Like, we need to have more in order to do more. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to Bali as well. And first of all, yeah. I understand why they stress-free over there, okay? Yeah. It's gorgeous. But also, just the sense of peace. Mm-hmm. Did you not feel that sense of peace when you, like, get there? You just, like, once you get out that airport, first of all, because all them little motorbikes, and, like, that's, that's a little crazy. But once yeah. you get to your destination <laughs> in Bali, it's, like, beautiful. Yeah, I think that was crazy, too, because... Listen, I like to think of myself now, maybe in the last year, I've learned how to sit down, but I'm still very, I mean, this is audio, so you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm just very like, ah, all the time, <laughs> like have to get there, have to be on time, have to do this, have to do that. And one of our rides one day, I think everybody was like maybe 30, 45 minutes behind. I had been dressed like I'm like the five minutes before the time. If you tell me noon, I'll be there at 1155. That's just how I operate. That's a great rule of thumb. I mean, I've had to learn to be a little more gracious when people are late. Because on that same token with me being on time, I'm my biggest pet peeve is people being late. <laughs> and I'm like that. It's 11.01 and we said 11 o'clock. Like, internally, I'm pissed and probably having a meltdown. Like, oh, yeah, no, I know. Bro, we gotta, you got to tell me two hours before we do brunch or something. I know, I know. I've gotten better at least keeping it to myself. Okay. Because I would be that person that when you would walk in, I would probably throw a dig first and then, like, hug you. But I've gotten better. And I've been a little <laughs> bit more gracious with it. But I get it. It's your time, right? And it's time, right? And we don't have, as much as we think we have of it, we don't have that much of it. So valuing other people's time, your time, and just time in general, it's changed my perspective, too, because I am late. But Oh, but to the point about that with him, he was saying that, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that they're late through this, that, and the other. And he was like, Robert, like, relax. He was like, you don't have anywhere to be but where you want to be. Ooh! And I don't even think he was trying to drop the bomb like that, but he literally was just like, 
But it was- I appreciate it. But he was like, the only places you have to be are places where you ask to go. So just relax. It's fine. Like, why are you in such a hurry? And I was like, you're right. And I ate that humble pie and just sat on down. Ate that humble pie. And I was like, all right. And it probably changed your whole feeling toward that whole experience, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're not like, God damn, you're right. Yeah. Like, where I want to be. Not where you have to be. Yeah. That's a two that's two different things. Yeah. Like we have to be at work. I mean, we have to be at certain yeah. things. We have to pay our bills. Yeah. And that's why almost like being back home now, or even before I feel like doing that, but I've definitely put more of a, a value or a premium on my personal time as far as like, I don't think I ever had FOMO, but I also just felt like I used to like to just be doing for whatever reason. It was some type of self-validation to just always be doing something somewhere at some time. And now I'm just like, oh, it's an unlimited brunch. Can we like, I, like, <laughs> Oh, I got a good hour in me before I'm like antsy or like, oh, you want to go? Mm, mm, like, hit me when you're finished. If you're in the neighborhood. Like, so just now I'm like, mm. you learn how to be more in tune to yourself and what y- you want versus what you feel. Not like there's, you know, you have to do, but it's more so like that feeling of being like, oh, let me go. Cause yeah. You'll come up with all of these reasons Re- in your mind why you have to go, but then you don't run out like, shit. Famous, famous, <laughs> my favorite line with people now, and I and I used to be that guy, but now I'm better at this. When people used to be like, oh, I have to go to, um, I have to go to my friend's birthday, or I have to go to so-and-so's birthday, or I have to go to, like, this. And I'm like, you don't really have to. <laughs> and again, I definitely put a premium on people's personal events. Like, if you invite me to your birthday and it means something, I definitely want to be there. But... If it's some random... Sorry, I was about to, I was about to go in. You know what I was going to say? Because I, I used to do that when it's somebody like you've seen in passing. And I get it. I appreciate the invite. But then I used to always be like... Like a friend could ask me to hang out. And I'm like, oh, well, I have to go to so-and-so. And I'm like, that nigga, that person is not <laughs> going to know whether I show up or not. Like, if I do, it's probably a plus. But like, if I don't show up, it's not going to be like, where were you? Right. But I used to convince myself, like, oh, yo, I got to go to da da I'm like, they probably sent that as a mask. And I much appreciate it, because some people do put thought, but there are just as many people that just cast a net wide for quantity over quality. And they just want a packed house. And I respect that, and I appreciate that. But I've just had to a little, be a little bit more selective, because I'm like, I was guilting myself into things where I'm like, you don't really give a f-. Mm. <laughs> Like, you, you're not going to miss me if I don't show up. Guilting the fact that you said guilting yourself into things, I felt that too. Yeah. Right? And honestly, that's pretty humbling yourself because you always want to think that you are indis- not indispensable, but you always want to think like, "Damn, I'm gonna be that person that doesn't show up, and they're gonna be like, where are you?'" <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm gonna be that person. <laughs> you give yourself way too, much, way credit too much credit. You're like, not sis, even, no, it's not even. I'm like good, that. love, and joy. <laughs> <laughs> but to uh, kind of circle back around on things. How do you take care of yourself to remain like grounded and clear in your dreams and your goals in order to work? You can, I guess, lean into your fear, but in order to really move beyond your fears. Um, I think, again, outside of that, I will say that as much as I have those fears, like I told you before, in, in my 
slight sense of masochism, I don't have a fear of putting myself out there. Right. So I think there are times where it might take a little bit more initially to get over that hump of fear. But in whatever way, I mean, I think typically for me, what it's become, I will say definitely in the last year or two has been fasting. Mm. Um, And it's more so just the clarity of knowing that I'm moving in the right direction because I I love the people I'm surrounded by, friends and family. And I think because a lot of times I talk so openly, people freely give opinions. And I know that they're coming from a good place, but I think sometimes it's like a big soup and you start to lose sight of like, how much of it is how I truly feel at my core Mm. and my values versus good-hearted, good-natured opinions of others and what's influenced. So I think, especially the last couple of big decisions I've had to make, um, I would just take the time to fast for whatever that means to you for however long the duration and just really focus in on and being intentional with what I'm praying and fasting for. Are you fasting food-wise? Are you fasting social so for me i do food okay um just because i i I do enjoy eating (laughs) so that is something that really means something to me and i just feel like for the last couple of times that i've done it it's really given me the clarity that i'm looking Mm. for but i say to people who always want to like join me in like that corporate fasting or whatever um you know fasting doesn't have to be food and it it to me, it is just you sacrificing something that means a lot to you Jeez. and what is truly and what is truly going to take the work. Yeah. Like, it'd be one thing if I like to eat, but like, oh, it's nothing for me to like go a whole day without eating. It is. <laughs> so <laughs> it so for is. me, food is work. But to answer your question, um, fasting has definitely been something that I've I've leaned into a lot just to give myself the clarity and just know that whatever that decision may be, it might not be the end all be all, but it's the right next step. Yeah. Do you feel like you're happy at this point in your life? Overall, yes. I mean, I think there's always room for improvement or there's always, you know, things that you want to add and take on. But Mm -hmm. I think overall, I am happy. And I think definitely this last trip was a good reset and not realizing how, I could say honestly, a month ago unhappy I was Mm. and didn't realize it almost like, functioning through it yeah um but i think over the trip it just made me realize like making other people believe you're happy you're not fooling yourself Mm -hmm. and so unless you're fully owning it like what's the point yeah so i would say as of today i can say like yeah i am really happy yes that's good and happy Happiness is an emotion. It's not a constant. Yeah. It doesn't happen all the time. Oh, yeah, no. You know. But as of today in this movement, sitting here with you, I'm happy. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I want to um, close off the episode and ask you, what are three things that you do to try to maximize your full fullest potential? Even if they're like guiding principles in your life. I think for me, I no matter what I do, I try to remain authentic to who I am, mm-hmm. to take risks, and at this point, I would say being okay with being okay and things not always working out the way that you set out and being able to pivot. Yes, pivot. 
It's true, because I think before it was very, you know, things could be very cut and dry. And if things don't happen exactly how you want them to happen, then you get all bent out of shape. But I've realized that, yeah, sometimes you just have to be able to bend and, and go with it and make the best of the situation until you get to it. So I think going with that now has definitely helped me a lot. Amen. Pivot, people. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Like I said earlier, yeah. life will throw you curveballs. Curve you got to be able to pivot. And catch it or sometimes it's okay with dropping it and having to wait for somebody else to throw you something. That's true. So. Amen to that. Well, I usually, first of all, before I go into that, thank you so much for taking your time to join me on my podcast. It means a lot um, just to have friends support, you know, the podcast what I'm doing and really being able to come on here and be authentic and share your story. I hope it inspires others that are listening. Um, I usually like to leave off the episode with a quote okay. that relates to the person's fear and hopefully inspires some inspiration for people going into the weekend. So the quote that I have, find the place inside yourself where nothing is impossible. Deepak Chopra. And with that... I wish you all nothing but love, light, and many a blessings. It's your girl, Fearless Kia and Robert, and we are out. Out.